Exodus chapter 15, beginning at verse 14. <clears throat> Listen to the word of the Lord. Terror and dread. Oh, I'm sorry, let me back up. <laughs> the peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone. To your people, O Lord, pass by. To the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your holy abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand. And all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Father, we do pray that you would now, by the power of your spirit, that you would help all of us as we sit under the authority of your word, that you would teach us, that you would use your word through the power of your spirit to continue to transform us, renew us, and shape us into the image of your own Son and our Lord Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray, amen. <laughs> the African-American uh, spiritual was forged in the crucible of American slavery and racial oppression. These, these songs of the, of the Lord, they, they, they took themes from the scriptures about the nature and character of God that often functioned as uh, counter-interpretations to those of enslavers who sought to show God as amenable and even sovereignly disposed to promoting the enslavement of African peoples. These, these spirituals also likely even doubled at times as both songs of worship, longing, and hope, and as coded messages to those seeking to escape slavery's grip through the Underground Railroad. The song, Go Down Moses, has often been identified as such a song. And the slaves, of course, brothers and sisters, knew something in crafting such a song, something that escaped the biblical understanding of their enslavers, that the God who offers deliverance from sin and death is also the God who is involved in the temporal deliverances in this life of those who cry out to him. Indeed, it is the hope of every believer in God that having been set free from the power of sin and death, we will one day also be set free from every form of sin in this world and everything that causes death in this life. It, it is why we foster and adopt children, setting them free from circumstances that have left them without families. It's why we walk alongside those with addictions, longing to see them set free from the power of those things that are binding them. It's why we work toward more just social structures, longing to see the marginalized and the poor and the immigrant 
black and brown people set free from systemic forms of injustice. It's why Christians are participating in the present where modern day slavery persists, seeking to see men and women and children set free from the oppression of those systems. We do those things because like the slaves, we believe in a God who in setting us free from the power of sin and death has also promised to set us free from the damage that sin and death has done to us in our world and who gives us in this life glimpses, glimpses of that promise in his temporal deliverances. And so the slaves in this country sang of the character of God as Savior, the character of God as Deliverer. They sang of the God of Moses who came down and set his people free. They sang, many of them tying their song to Moses' song. And we who believe in God and in the work of his Son to set us free from sin and death, we also sing now and have also had our songs tied individually and collectively to the song of Moses. For as I said last week, this song of Moses was no trend. But as Revelation 15, 2 to 3 declares, it will be sung together with the song of the Lamb by all those who through faith in Jesus will have overcome the evil and sin, death that has been brought into this world. So, brothers and sisters, this morning, what I want to impress upon you again is that as we look at the second part of this song, that in singing of God's salvation acts, we are doing what the Apostle Paul encourages us to do in Ephesians and Colossians, where he says specifically, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. May our worship of God always be filled with music. That, that, that enables us to teach and admonish one another as it regards the character and the actions of the salvation of our God among us. And, and I, began, I began this sermon talking about the slave songs, not only because of their connection to the biblical themes of God as Savior, but also to remind us that these songs that we sing together are meant to come out of the rich history of God's dealing with his multi-ethnic family. Those spirituals don't just belong to black people now. They belong to the church in so much as they reflect the truth about God as he has presented to us in the scriptures. Amen, people of God. So, so, so what do we learn? What do we learn? What do we learn about our God in this song that we are to sing together? What more do we learn than what we learned last week? Well, first of all, we, we learn in this song about the fear of God in the hearts of our enemies. The, the fear of God in the hearts of our enemies. In addition to the truths we learned again last week, Moses teaches us that God's presence with his people as they journey toward the home that he had prepared for them produced fear among the nations. In addition to the truths we learned about God last week, from the song Moses, Moses teaches us that God's presence with his people as they journey toward home, it, it produced fear among the nations. Now, so, some of you may wonder, some of you may wonder at the idea of fear being a byproduct of God's presence with his people. Uh, favor, 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 favor might strike you 
as a better anticipated response from, from those who encounter God's people. And indeed, the, indeed, favor often was a response. But, but God also calls those who saw and heard about his great acts among his people to experience fear or awe at who he was. Take, for instance, uh, what the psalmist says in Psalm 102, verse 13, you will arise and have pity on Zion. It is, it, it, it is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come for your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. In, in response to, to God's compassionate acts on behalf of Israel, the nation's the psalmist says, will experience fear. They will experience awe of God. And in Acts 5, uh, when God judges the sin of Ananias and Sapphira, we read, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. But, but, but here's the thing. Here's the thing for us to remember. Even as we sing about, about, about the nations coming to fear or being awe of God, the nations were not drawn toward fear because of the impressiveness of Israel. Indeed, from a, from a human standpoint, Israel was not impressive. You, you, you may have heard me say this, say this before, but, 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 but watch this because it may help you this morning. The fear of God was not tied to the impressiveness of Israel, but the impressiveness of God's work in, through, and among Israel. But, but, but in a world, in a world, in a world in, in, which, in which great value is placed on impressive shows of power, impressive shows of intelligence, impressive shows of material wealth, impressive shows of physical strength, we as the church can be lured into the belief that in order to make people fear God, we have to be as impressive as our enemies or as impressive as our neighbors. If they're doing it big, we have to do it big too. If you don't believe me, just, just, just read the biblical story and watch Israel fall into the trap over and over again of believing that, that, that the, grander, the, the grander they are as a nation in every arena, the more they will cause their neighbors to be in fear of God or in fear of them. And we fall into the same trap. Perhaps it's our lack of humility, our or, or our unwillingness to be the least, to be among the least, that is the reason we feel the fear of God diminishing among our neighbors. The songwriter speaks of a fear that will overtake Israel's enemies, a fear that will enable them to travel along the road that will bring them to the promised land. And it's not a fear that will keep the nations from opposing them, but a fear that will weaken the nation's belief that they have an advantage over their weaker Israel. Indeed, they will come to realize that they, in fact, have no advantage because the Lord is with his people. And this isn't going to mean a life of ease for the people of Israel any more than the Lord being with us means a life of ease for us. What it does mean is that as we embrace our lack of impressiveness, we can rest assured that the impressiveness of God will rest among us and be manifested through us. And it is the impressiveness of God's acts among us that will cause people to fear the Lord, with many among the nations switching sides from enemies and strangers to fellow citizens and family 
within God's kingdom. It's hard not to want to be impressive. To not want to look great like the great ones of the earth, either individual or corporately. We want to believe, we want to believe that the more impressive we are, the more impressive people will think our God is. But the kingdom is upside down. It is weakness that shows God's strength. It is humility that brings forth exaltation. It is God's power that causes people to fear and to be in awe of God. And so the call for us as Christians is to boast not about our successes, but about our weaknesses. It is to tell people how how God is actually meeting us in our brokenness. Show them on whom we are depending each day for support and help. Why? It it is because we, we, we don't want people to see us. We want people to see who? We want people to see God. What this means is we got to embrace those moments when God makes us weak in order to show his strength. You got to be okay with being broke if you want to see God as people to see God as a provider. You you, got to embrace being insulted if you want people to see God as a vindicator. You have to embrace being weighed down. If you want people to see God as a burden bearer or a burden lifter, you got to embrace being in danger. If you want people to know God as a deliverer, Israel was about to face all of that stuff in the wilderness. Lack of resource, being in danger, being weighed down, and through all of those experiences of weakness, God was going to show himself powerful among his people and cause those around them to fear and be in awe of him. But we don't like being weak, do we? We like being strong. We like it when we got a lot of resources. We like it. We like it when we feel like we're the smartest people in the room. We like it, we like it when we feel like everybody sees us and is impressed. Amen, people of God. (laughs) But how does God show his power? How does he show his power? You ain't got nothing. And your neighbor sees you ain't got nothing. And yet somehow you keep eating. Where did it come from? Came from the faithfulness of the Lord. Amen, people of God. (laughs) But I want to be strong. When people walk through the door, I, 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 I... I want it to look good. I'm going to mess with y'all now. You ready? When I do a baptism, I want there to be water in the boat. Because I want people to be impressed with New City when they walk through the door. I want it to shine. I want it to look good. Because I want to look strong. 
I don't want to be weak so that people have to rest. Not in what I look like, but in who my God is. Amen, people of God. I tease us. That's such, a, that's such a new city thing. Like across all the new cities, what I just described. The fear of God in the hearts of our enemies because of the power of God at work among his people. The second thing we see in this song, this second part of the song, the, the eternality of God in his kingship over the world. Spoke last week about God leading his people home, giving us a place of rest, a place of hope, a place of uh, renewal. And I emphasized uh, last week that this home is, a, is home because God's presence is there. And even as we, even as we await uh, the, the consummation of all that, that it means to be at home with God, we, we can have great confidence that the God who is the ground of what it means to be home is with us, right? Every single day through the presence and power of the Spirit who is within us. But, but, but there's another aspect of this home that I, that I want to impress upon us this morning. In Egypt, Israel was not at home. She was in the house that Pharaoh built. And I say uh, the house of the Pharaohs built, and I, say, and I say Pharaohs, plural, to emphasize that, that Israel's affliction was generational affliction. It, it was an affliction that lasted over 400 years. And part of that affliction, as we've seen from the narrative, was a period of, of, of intense slavery. When you're, when, when you're under oppression or some form of enslavement, it, it can actually seem like, like it will never end. Indeed, for some, it never did. They died in a context of affliction. Let's not, let's not be naive. Oppression and evil don't just go away over time. Uh, they have to be met with a greater power, a greater authority, a stronger opponent. And what is more, for those struggling under the oppression and the affliction, they have to come to see that there actually is someone whose promises will outlast the oppression and the affliction. That there is someone who is not only able to deliver them, but able to bring them into a place of true rest and peace that will not be temporary, but lasting. And they need someone whose presence will allow them to look at Pharaoh and declare, you will only be here for a moment. For what God is preparing for me and for all who trust in him is a far greater weight of glory. How else do you fight faithfully in the present if you don't believe in something or someone whose promises will outlast the current state of affairs? This is why Moses, in thinking about the home God was leading his people to and the realization that the home would be built by God's own hands, he declares in verse 18, the Lord will reign forever and ever. Yes, Moses, Moses may have been thinking in, in the immediate about a temporary house that will be built for, for God, but, but his recognition of God's nature as the eternal king reminds all of us that the home God has built for us is actually not temporal. It will last forever. I don't know how long we're going to have to wrestle as human beings with the evil that is in the world. Indeed, my, my soul cries out with the souls of the martyrs under the altar who cry out to God in Revelation. How long, O oh Lord? How, how, how long, 
O Lord, before you avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. And I don't know how long the particular challenges that you may be facing in your life will last. What I do know is that if our faith is in Jesus, you serve the eternal God whose reign will last forever and ever. And there's no time period longer than forever. And so as you as you are wrestling with what you see in the world or, or in your own experiences, let the words of the Apostle Paul encourage your soul. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through his spirit, for the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. This word is not given that we might ignore our present circumstances, but that we might enter into them from this perspective. Faith in an eternal God who has prepared for his people an eternal home. Amen, people of God. So you serve an eternal God who has promised you an eternal home, and what you have in God is going to last forever. It's the reason Paul, looking at his own circumstances, and looking out at the circumstances of the church, says, so we do not lose heart. Though our honor self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are not seen are eternal. It's not light, it's not light in the experience of it, for we all have faced trials. All of us who have faced trials know how painful and lasting they can be and feel. It's only light. It's only light in the face of the God who is eternal and what he has promised us in this eternal home. The call here, brothers and sisters, is to trust God's character and his promise over those seasons of trial that feel and seem so lasting. Is even to ask God by his spirit that he would help us hold on to that truth. Eternity in the face of the experience of time can feel far away, but Moses doesn't sing about eternity as an abstract concept in relation to time. Rather, Moses speaks about eternity in reference to a person, the person of God. And that eternal God is with you, which means every single day, through the power of the Spirit, you are enabled to get a glimpse of that eternal God and that eternal home, the love you experience, the joy you experience, the peace you experience, the growth in your faith that you experience, the provision you experience is a foretaste of the eternal life that is before you in God. The hardships are momentary. The promises of God are forever. Amen, people of God. We have the fear of God in the hearts of our enemies. We have the eternality of God as king over this world. And lastly, the song of God in the mouths of all his servants. The song of God in the mouths of all his servants. If Moses wrote the song, 
Then Miriam wrote the score and led the choir. For she grabs all the women who all grab their tambourines and dance and play joyously to the Lord. And what I want you to notice is that the same song that Moses sang, Miriam reprises, teaching it to the women who lead the whole congregation and singing it. What I want us to grab a hold of this morning is that the songs of the Lord are meant to be in all of our mouths. We are all of us, men, women, children, called to sing these songs together, teaching, encouraging, and building each other up in our common faith. There isn't a song for the men and a song for the women. No, the songs of the Lord are our songs. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Miriam is leading this particular song. Don't forget that it was Big Sis whom God used to save baby Moses from the waters, who through her watchful eye and mediation brought him out of the waters and into the home of Pharaoh's daughter, who made it so that her mother and Moses' mother would be able to nurse her child, watching him grow up in the first few years of his life. It's only right that the one through whom God wrought salvation for Moses should be called to lead the reprise of the song of God's salvation of his people from Egypt. All I'm saying is that we have to keep learning as men and women in the church how to sing God's song together. We have to learn how to serve alongside of each other in a way that honors the scriptures and builds up the church. People looking at us should see, should not see the same fighting that they see in the culture. They should see expressions of the new humanity being given expression among us. They, they, should, they, they should come into our midst and say, man, these people love each other. Man, these people support each other. Man, these people serve alongside of each other in ways that we just don't see in the world around us. What I'm saying is that the unity of our singing together should also be manifest in the unity in the way we live our life together in the church. We sit, we sit as New City Fellowship in the tradition that ordains male officers only. Okay. But I hope that's not all we think about when we think about our service together. I hope this congregation can learn from the scriptures all the ways that God has gifted all of us to serve in his body, and that the affirmation of the dignity of the image of God in men and women can be brought to bear not only in our seeing together, but in our living together as well. May it be said of New City that that is the place where, where truly there is no Jew or Greek. There is no slave or free. There is no male or female, for they are all one in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we simply must continue to learn to love each other across the lines of gender. We must continue to find ways to learn to do life together in the church in a way that reflects the unity of the song we're called to sing together. The world has to be able to look at us and see a people whose way of doing life together shows the beauty and the glory of the Lord who has made us the new humanity in Christ across all the lines that divide us. So I want to encourage us in this body toward a spirit of unity. I want to encourage us as brothers to be willing to listen to our sisters, to hear the challenges they face as they try to sing the song of the Lord 
alongside of us, to not shut out or shut down their voices as if our manhood is on the line. For if your manhood is in Christ, then you know that your manhood is servanthood and should be put into practice in helping build unity within the body. And I want to encourage my sisters toward the same willingness to see their womanhood as servanthood in Christ. Consider how you might be of encouragement to your brothers how you might help them learn how to sing the song of the Lord in ways that include others, to resist the temptation to write your brothers off as those who will never understand, as enemies to the good that God wants for women in this world. We were created to do this thing together, and God is not going to change his mind about that plan. Amen, people of God. I think I read it right. God created male and female in his image. God created them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. I got the pronoun right, right? Dr. Washington, did I get the pronoun right? And God said to them, So whatever your tradition is, it better take them seriously. Amen, people of God? Amen. The Lord has given us a song to sing. He's given us a song about who he is, the salvation he has accomplished in our lives. Moses' song, as I said last week, it's become our song. It belongs to us through faith in Jesus Christ. It's a song in which we sing about God, God who works fear and awe among the nations through his work among us as his people. A song in which we sing of the eternal place of God as king over all this world. And it's a song that God has placed into all the mouths of all of his servants. So let's remember the words of this song, that we might remember the character of our God who has saved us in all our enemies, through faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen, people of God. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, you, you have given us a song. You've given us a song to sing, a song of your salvation, a song of how you have met us in our sin and brokenness, a song of how you have met us in our slavery and oppression, a song and how you have met us in the midst of our crying and longing for deliverance. You have given us a song, Lord, because you have delivered, because you have saved, because you have heard our cry, because you have set us free. And so I pray for your people this morning, Lord, that they would know how to sing that song with their mouths, but that they would also know how to sing that song with their lives that we together might know how to sing that song with our lives, that we might proclaim that there is a God. There is a God who deserves to be feared and awed because of who he is and what he has done, that there is a God who is the eternal king who will reign forever and ever, and that there is a God who has put a song in all of our mouths 
through what he has done for us. Lord, let us sing and sing loudly with rejoicing with our mouths and with our lives as the people of God that everyone around us might hear and be drawn to you. Father, help us sing this song together, we pray, here at New City Fellowship. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.